0: Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behavior, sleep, and more. When the chips are down and it all feels too hard, where do you turn? How do you dig deep to keep putting one foot in front of the other? Parenthood can be a challenge on so many levels, physical, emotional, psychological. For Rachel Coops, actor, playful presenter, writer, and now author, when the chips are down, she turns to her practice of yoga. And yoga, for those of you who aren't familiar, is not just about being able to move your body into pretzel-like shapes. Rachel's book is called Finding Your Strength, and it's her way of translating ancient wisdom to help others, because it helped and continues to help her. Hi, Rachel, how are you?
1: Good, how are you?
0: (laughs) Good, thank you. So you've been practising yoga for many, many years, but would you say the first time you really um, used it through great hardship was when you were pregnant? Absolutely. I think
1: I didn't really understand so many aspects of the deeper layers Especially of the the philosophy, the yoga philosophy, until I found myself um, very pregnant, <laughs> very single, going through a separation, and I all of the things that I'd been, you know, contemplating and talking about as a yoga teacher as well, like surrender and letting go, and um, purpose and and finding your strength and. Karma yoga, like selfless service and taking action in service of others, you know, really don't understand selfless service and savor until you are pregnant and have a child. Those things really landed for the first time. And I had to engage, I had to engage my practical application in a way I hadn't had to before.
0: Which is interesting because I know that I practice yoga for years until I started going, oh, there's a philosophy behind this. I mean, I'd listened to my teacher, but I didn't really understand it. Uh, I found yoga really helpful through lockdown. It helped calm me and ground me. I'm just wondering, at that point, you weren't expecting to have this baby on your own. As you were saying, you're going through a separation. It sounds like there would be a lot of fear and possibly a lot of anger, which are both really fiery emotions. What's interesting about your book is you talk about yoga not necessarily being peace that washes over you. How did yoga help you deal with those really strong, painful emotions of fear and anger? So
1: this is a very big reason I wrote this book. (laughs) I think there is a misperception. That yoga is rainbows and lotus (laughs) flowers and chakras and uh, all of the, you know, let's drink chai and sing kumbaya and be (laughs) happily, live happily ever after. And what became very apparent to me through that process is that the yoga actually happens on the battlefield and the Gita, as we lovingly called the the Bhagavad Gita, one of the primary yogic texts, is set on a battlefield. And so all of that fear we feel, all the the emotions you describe, anger, frustration, resentment, disappointment, that we're not where we thought we were meant to be in this moment. Absolutely. As a prenatal yoga teacher, I saw myself in a very different situation to what I was in. And and the fear, in fact, I would describe as terror in some, some moments. And so there was something very reassuring in having this text that i'd studied for quite some time by then that said actually this is the yoga the yoga is about all of those feelings and what you do next so my teacher david life used to say so what now what so what now what and it it was just an idea before that but i really felt it in that moment yes I feel anger. Yes, I feel disappointment. Yes, I feel all of these things. But what, what do you do now? Like how? what is the most skillful action to take in this moment? And it's not to say that I took the most skillful action <laughs> in every moment because I did not. <laughs> but it was ha- like I had a little line, this little tiny little line to something that made me feel not so much of a victim or not so much hopelessness it gave me some hope that it's okay things can be messy and a lot of the a lot of the process for me was not necessarily resolving feelings like anger but being very conscious of them and acknowledging them and feeling them and facing them and being okay with them and because i believe that 90, 95% for most of us of this practice is about waking up and about becoming conscious I think that there's no, for, not for me in this lifetime, there's not going to be this moment of like, oh, I get it and I feel peaceful with all of the choices that I've made and I feel peaceful with where I'm at. But I feel like I, I do my best to stay awake. So I realize, and like you described in, in lockdown, absolutely my practice, again, just held me in so many ways. But there were many moments in lockdown where I was like, single parenting and all the same story from being pregnant on the battlefield of life, writing a book, writing a magazine and and solo parenting and where I would go into my, my bedroom just to in our apartment just to <laughs> escape for a moment and feel that all again and go you know some moments are just really hard and that's the yoga as well being okay not not trying to get rid of them by meditation or yoga or, Um, cryotherapy or all the things that we do which are all great but sometimes it's okay to go wow this is actually a shit show life is a shit show right now and by staying conscious and staying awake okay well what am I going to do in this next moment in this next moment um it's got to be enough well for me it's got to be enough because otherwise I just spend a lot of time feeling like a failure right because you know well a yogi a conscious action would be this (laughs) I'm actually going to do this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's why I still drink coffee all the time. Um, So, for people who don't practice yoga, sometimes hearing the philosophy can make them freak out a bit and make it, they might think, oh, this is just another religion. But something about what you were saying there um, makes me think maybe humans need a bit of religion or if not religion, the philosophy that gives us something to hold on to when times are tough. Is that how you would see it? I'm Yeah, so I
1: have a bit of a love affair with the concept of let's call it God or some people say the universe or the experience of not feeling quite so alone and separate. That to me is that experience and I think I've had it since I was a little girl in different ways. I really believe because we're not in tribes anymore and we don't have a sense of physical connection to the planet, to one another, we're not um, witnessing hardship and death in one another and birth and life and all the things that when those things happen to us and we're living in our little apartments in couples or solo parenting or whatever your family unit is that that process of of parenting and being a family can feel incredibly lonely and and incredibly like we're on this battlefield by ourselves and we don't have an army behind us and I, I I feel like they say the road to hell is paved with good intent (laughs) <laughs> and this is how I think of a lot of these ancient, let's call them lineages, whether they're religion, religious or just uh, philosophy or spirituality. All the de- these different ancient lineages, because some of them are non-religious, uh, like Buddhism and mindfulness come to mind they provide us with really practical incredible tools that's why when people had a lot of time to sit there and sit like the buddha sat under a tree or um the upanishads or the vedic philosophy where rishis holy people just had a lot of time to sit there and contemplate well what is the meaning of life what is god what is the point of being here that the stuff that they discovered is actually very potent and powerful and a lot of that is very relevant to how we can make our lives better. The problem is it's often bound in stories that have been then used to control and to manipulate and all sorts of terrible things that have happened because of, because ultimately religion can separate, right? And mm-hmm. that's not the point. Mm-hmm. The point of a lot of the teachings in these lineages is, is To search for what is not so very different in each and every one of us and I think that's a beautiful thing that it's through you know the yoga sutra talks about this as well but I think a lot of them do that that it's through being different all of us being our unique snowflake selves (laughs) not through being the same that we discover through this process of trying to understand something that's a little bit greater than our smaller selves well what is the same in us you know what what in the experience of being alive is the same for me, you, and everyone else. And there is there are a couple of key things that everyone's gonna experience, right? Grief, love, loss, um, anger, suffering, and so, and on it goes. And I don't think those the teachings in a lot of those texts are meant to make us depressed or separate this uh, separate us. I think, in fact, they're there to give us tools to go, how do we be on the battlefield together?
0: The book is specific about giving people tools to, like you were talking about the practical tools within uh, the Bhagavad Gita and the practice of yoga. And two things I feel that are really practical and helpful for parents within yoga is one, this idea that is only through hardship that we grow and to compassion. So I just want to talk about that part about it's only through hardship that we grow because I think what being told that makes the hard times easier to cope with. Was that how you felt?
1: Totally and you know it's like I don't believe what Justin Bieber says of like, what is it? It's a reason or a season, <laughs> happens for a reason. Or a, I don't think everything happens for a reason. I don't. I think there's a lot of stuff that um, makes no sense that happens, you know, bad things happen to good people and we experience hardship that, that sometimes it's very challenging to make sense of. But it does come back to those moments when we are on our knees and when we are faced with, when, we, when everything is stripped away from us, and we've seen this a lot through the lockdowns, when your mani petty, haircuts, <laughs> uh, all the little distractions are taken away and we are on our knees in many ways, you have to access something in yourself that you only access in those moments. And it's an opportunity. Like, they wake us up. It's like so many people who talk about it's not until they get really sick, they start to live, or it's not until they experience some kind of out-of-the-blue accident that they wake up. And the though, that's what those moments do. They can wake us up. And then, then we, be, we become more conscious or more unconscious, I think. We either dive deeper into our patterns and our habits because some things, are uh, they feel too big. But when things feel big and we can not make sense of them even, but access that part of ourself that goes, do you know what, there's something in you that is indestructible. Pema Chodron talks about that with this Western Tibetan nun who's an incredible teacher of Buddhism. She says that when she first started studying, she had this thing stuck on her wall. I think it was by um, Rinpoche and it said, uh, that, which is, that which is, what is it, it's that which is not subject Keep subjecting yourself to annihilation again and again, basically so you can find that within you that is not subject to destruction. In other words, and this is what yoga does, I think, when you, the repetition of putting ourselves in um, poses and feeling sensation and not backing out, when you are put on your knees and when you are faced with destruction, you find what's in you that is indestructible. So... And I think when we make mistakes, we are given opportunities to constantly be humbled and learn, you know, I did, I tried something, it didn't work. I made a mess of it. And, uh, and there's so many stories in the yogic tradition that speak of this, right? But that it's never too late to make amends. It's never too late to start again. It's never too late to learn something and not necessarily tied up in a little bow and make sense of it, and and become a better person from it. But to take the medicine we need for our growth, that, and that's the other thing. I think medicine doesn't always taste good. You try. I mean, you have a dog now. Try giving a dog a, a tablet, right? <laughs> have you had to do that yet? Yes. Yes. And it's like sometimes the medicine, as humans as well, it doesn't taste good. But inevitably, if we're interested, and this is the other thing, it's only if you're interested in growing and more ease in your life and more joy and more peace, if you're interested in that, then you're going to get given those situations. <laughs> so you can discover what's indestructible in you and so you can get the medicine that you need so you can look at those patterns, let go of the stuff you need to let go of, um, trust
0: yourself more,
1: surrender more, find, discover your self-worth, whatever that thing is, and it's going to be different for all of us. Mm-hmm.
0: And and moving on to compassion, uh, you talk about self-love not necessarily being what we see on Instagram or being advertised to us from various beautiful day spas, not that I don't love them, but you talk about self-love as being an act of radical self-acceptance. Can you talk to me a bit about that?
1: Mm. i thought about this a lot especially through the last two years that we're so used to thinking of self love as I'll just do these things that make me feel better. If I just get, you know, a day and parents, especially new mums will know this feeling of like, if I just get a day at a day spa and get a massage and just a day to myself, (laughs) I'll be okay. And you might be for a day back at home and then within another day, you're back to zero. And so I really think we have to throw away our idea of self-love being some kind of you know just saying affirmations and and treating ourselves that it has to be looking at those deeper darker parts of the self that arise and I don't think you experience that the way you do with a newborn when you're pregnant and with a newborn and and then even everyone says like Little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. It goes on, obviously. But you don't experience, I never experienced fear until I had my son, not real fear. Um, I never had fear of death until I had my son, things like that. So when those feelings arise, again, it comes back to, I think, confronting them and, like, meeting them head on and seeing there are lots of parts of myself I don't like. And I, I used to throw them away or feel shame or um, try and cover them up with other things or withdraw from people or and the list goes on. <laughs> <laughs> and there's something in looking at those parts and going, "There's this is the part of the full person and this is part of who I am and what can I change in that and what can't I change? And so self-acceptance is... Fundamental not only just to us feeling better, but to us being better to those around us. Like, you cannot love someone else until you love yourself. You cannot show compassion to another person if you're not compassionate to yourself. We know that. And that's all science. That's not like yoga woo woo stuff. That's just science. You have to feel compassion towards yourself in order to feel it to someone else. And you know, when Gabriel was very little, ahimsa is one of the primary ethics of yoga. Ah is not him; is to harm. So, it's the it's also one of the primary ethics of um, Buddhism, and it is it says like just don't cause harm. Where you can show compassion, because the reality is, every day of our lives, we're going to cause harm to ourselves and others. We just will, and and but the more unconscious we are, the more that happens. So the the more we harm ourselves. And can't show compassion to ourselves. And we, you know, again, the road to hell is paved with good intent. It's like us parents going, no, I'll just, if I just put the kids first and then just ignore this feeling or beat myself up. And then you see, and I remember seeing Gabriel one day losing his mind about um, not creating a lego thing well or whatever this perfectionist tendency and i saw myself i saw the perfectionist and it's really scary isn't it as a parent you go (laughs) where does he get that from oh (laughs) (laughs) so the the you know the very thing we don't want to happen ends up happening which is we just put our darkness onto our kids or our partners or we just offload it without even meaning to we don't want to so if that's not the best possible reason you know to to look at those dark corners and love them and go look at the big fat mess you are Rachel and I love you (laughs) and let's just be as kind as we can to ourselves and to others and especially now like isn't the world hard enough isn't the world hard enough and can't we just give ourselves a little break and each other a break you know, I see people, the road rage, and because we're all un, we're all kind of done, and we're all on, our, on edge. Mm-hmm. But the, there is a you know this impatience and this irritability. We we've got to learn to foster this compassion within, and that only comes through acknowledging all the, anything that we see outside of ourselves that that is dark or evil or wicked or however you perceive it. It exists within us. And the more we can look at that and go, whew, that's in me, it's easier to see it in someone else and not judge or react or,
0: yeah. Mm. I have so many more questions, <laughs> but then I will keep you for hours. And I, I do believe it's all in the book. So, um, Rachel, I'll have to stop there, but thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you so much. That's Rachel Koops. Her book is called Find Your Strength, and you'll find links to it in the notes of this episode.